Would y'all join me again in prayer? Creator God, you make all things new in heaven and on earth. So we come to you in the new year with new desires and yet with old fears, new decisions and old controversies, new dreams and old weaknesses. Because you are a God of hope, we know that what you create will open up all the possibilities of the future. Because you are a God of love, we know that you accept and forgive the mistakes of our past. Because you are the God of our faith, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving and praise, and we come into your presence with celebration. Lord, let us be transformed this morning. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So welcome to 2015. Um, I have found that over the course of the past 10 years, I have preached 10 different sermons on the first Sunday of the year. And I don't know that I've exhausted the, the topics or the ideas that come along with the new year, but all of them seem kind of trite and kind of cliche, right? Like all of the new year stuff is kind of cliche. Like every year on December 31st, all these people, what do they do? They flock to New York and they gather up in Times Square and, you know, you hear Carson Daly and um, uh, what's the other guy, Ryan Seacrest, you hear them uh, talk about how people have been camped out since noon down here in Times Square, all for this big moment when a ball drops from the sky and sets off confetti and fireworks so that everybody can go, yay, and sing Odd Lang Sign and New York, New York, only to turn around, walk out of New York City, out of Times Square, and go back to the old lives that they used to live. You've seen this, right? Like every year we go through this whole elaborate ritual. We, we get through Christmas and then it's time to get ready for New Year's. And so we have New Year's parties and we have New Year's countdown. Um, when I was a youth minister, and some of you are my youth here, um, you remember we had New Year's lock-ins where you could, you know, we started at 7 the night before and we did all the way around until the, the first day of the New Year. It was just a big deal. And the sad thing is we do this ritual year after year after year and nothing really seems to change. It's like we're just marking time. I mean, the point of having a big New Year celebration is that it should be an opportunity for us to start over, to start again, to live a new life, to live differently than we did last year. I mean, that's, the, that's what we sing about. That's the deepest desires of our heart, isn't it? Not just to keep perpetuating the same cycle of events in our lives and in our homes and our workplaces but to start something new. Well, what I've found is that we can't really start something new until we remember who we are. You can't begin to be something new unless you know who you are. And so for the next two weeks here at Pittman Park, whether you're in the traditional service or the borough service, um, we are going to be remembering and renewing 
renewing and remembering. This morning specifically, we're going to be renewing our covenant as Wesleyans. Now, some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's my first time here at church. I don't even know what a Wesleyan is. It sounds like a bird, and I don't know if, I'm, I, don't know if I want to be a Wesleyan. Um, but it, John Wesley <laughs> created a service specifically for the first Sunday of the year as an opportunity for us to recommit and rededicate our lives to Christ so that God's grace might grow inside of us so that, so that at the end of the year when we look back on where we've been and who we now are, we wouldn't be the same people that were sitting there at the start of the year. Wesley has this covenant happen in his societies and in his churches year after year as a way to not only mark time, but to really consider who we are called to be and how our relationship with God can affect us and change us and transform us over time. Now, along with the new year and all the rituals is this one ritual called making a resolution, right? You know about making a New Year's resolution. How many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? Like six of you. That's impressive. Some of you just don't want to admit it, right? You've got mental, anybody have a mental resolution? Like, I didn't write it down on paper because I'm not sure I'm going to keep it, but I'm doing, yeah, that's how mine go, right? Like, I got this brand new resolution. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be that. I'm going to, I'm going to lose this much weight. I'm going to gain this much weight. I'm going to get this much taller or that much shorter. Um, and that's what I planned for this year, <laughs> But I'm not telling anybody, I'm not telling anybody, because then they might hold me to it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody. We all make resolutions uh, of one sort or another. Sometimes they're written down on paper and they're very explicit. I'm going to run so much faster, I'm going to lose so much weight. Other times they are just these mental things that we want to begin our year with so that we might take a different course than we took over the past of the last year, the problem is, no matter how you create your resolutions, whether they are explicit or they are sort of mental and internal, none of us are very good at keeping promises. Do you know how I know this? I know this because I have one of these. This is my iPhone. And I have one of these. And do you know what's on both of these? A calendar. Facebook. Somebody said Facebook. Yes, Facebook is on there. And Facebook is actually helping with this. No, Facebook's on there and Twitter's on there too. But, but um, <laughs> there's calendars on these things. And the cool thing is, is I can put one thing on my calendar here and it shoots over to my iPad and my iPad shoots it back over to my computer so that no matter where I am, I have reminders of the places I'm supposed to be and, and the things that I'm supposed to be doing and the people I'm supposed to be meeting with. Because the truth is, if I make you a promise that we're going to meet next Tuesday for lunch at Barbarito's, and I don't put it down in my phone, it's probably not going to happen. I might intend to start new and to meet with you. I might promise to be there. But if you get me just the slightest bit distracted on Tuesday at 1130, I won't be there. Because I have a tendency to forget the promises that I've made. And we all have this sort of short-term, long-term memory problem. Where we make promises, but we aren't very good at keeping them. We make promises all the time that we don't keep. One of the reasons I think we do that, or at least one of the reasons we make promises, is because that's a mark 
of the God who created us. What we see in Scripture is that our God is a God who makes promises. And he calls these promises something very specific. He calls them covenants. Our God is a promise-making God, a covenant-making God. So over and over in the Old Testament, the New Testament through Christ, we see that God is seeking to create covenants, promises, relationships with the people who he calls his own. And, and as Christians, we believe this. This is, this is part of our makeup. And you see this very first act of promise-making in Scripture in Genesis chapter 9. You've got these verses there inside um, of your bulletin, or you can look them up on your, your phone. Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 to 17. You come across the story of Noah. And at the very end of that story, in chapter 9, what happens is incredible. God, at the end of it all, after he's flooded the earth, And the waters have dried up. He makes a promise to Abraham. The first promise we see God making to people in Scripture is that he will never pour out the same kind of wrath that he poured out upon the earth again. And he will set as a sign in the skies a rainbow. You all know that story, right? Anytime you see a picture of Noah and the ark, what do you see in the sky? A rainbow, right? The rainbow is the reminder of God's promise. It's the first covenant that we have In Scripture, it's the first time God invites a people to be his people in a very special and set-apart kind of way. Skip forward in Genesis to Genesis chapter 17, and you have a whole nother opportunity for covenants to happen. It's in the story of Abraham, and in this passage, God covenants with Abram that if Abram, that he will make Abram exceedingly numerous and will make from Abram, Abram a multitude of generations. God also promises, there in Genesis 17, God also promises the ancestors of Abram all of the land of Canaan and that God will be their God. As for Abram and for his male descendants, um, they got to enter into the covenant through something called circumcision. So God acts and God's people respond by having themselves set apart for God. But what we see in the covenant, both in the covenant of Moses, excuse me, the covenant of Noah and the covenant of Abram or Abraham, is that God is offering himself to God's people. God offers a relationship with himself to individuals like you and me. God offers himself again and again and again that we might come into right relationship with him. God, in an attempt to restore relationships that are broken by sin, broken by pain, broken by heartache, broken by human nature and by tragedy, God, God, in an attempt to restore broken relationships, Offers to be our God if we'll be God's people. Skip forward in your Bible again to Exodus 19. There you've got something called the Mosaic Covenant. In that covenant story, we find that the Israelites, they've escaped slavery in Egypt. And they're wandering in the desert. And they wander to the foot of Mount Sinai where God delivers the law from heaven and Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets containing the Ten Commandments and the Holiness Code. You know this story, right? The first time down the mountain, everybody's worshiping another God. And so what does, what does Moses do? 
smashes the tablet, right? Goes back up the mountain. God gives him new tablets. He comes back down again. In both cases, God is offering himself to the people of Israel that they might be his people and that he might be their God. If you fast forward even later on into scriptures, we see that God makes a covenant with David and the whole house and line of David, that they will be prosperous and that God will establish a royal lineage that will never end, that ultimately is culminated in the person of Jesus Christ, who is everlasting and never ending. God will do marvelous things, he says through David and his descendants, if David will but be a man of God. It's interesting, all the time we think that we are the ones who have to come to God, but the testimony of Scripture is that over and over again, it's God who comes to us. God who comes to us and says, I will be your God if you will be my people. I will be your God if you will be my people, if you will enter into covenant and into relationship with me. God invites us into a covenant relationship with himself, and he does it over and over again in Scripture, and he does it over and over and over again in your life. When you fail and you falter, when you sin, and you hurt others when you sin against God and you break relationship with God, God doesn't turn away. God runs to you and says, I will be your God if you will be my son or if you will be my daughter, if you will be my family, if you will be my people. I will be your God if you will be my people. The ultimate expression of this is God's own self-giving through Jesus Christ. God so desperately wants to be in relationship with us and redeem and restore us that he sends his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to show us the way to everlasting life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God offers himself to us in a way that gives us everlasting life. And if you've said yes to God's offer of himself to you, you and I are then charged to remember to live as God's people, to remember to live as God's covenant people. I'm going to say that again because I didn't quite get it right. Our duty as those who have said yes to God is to remember and to live then as God's covenant people because we're not good at keeping promises. We need to be reminded. So in order to remember the covenant that you and I are invested and invited into by God, Wesley created a service, as I said at the beginning. Wesley created a service at the start of the year so that we could say, you know what, God? I messed up in 2014. I didn't quite get it right. I sinned against you. I sinned against others. I turned my back on you and I turned my back on people around me. I decided I didn't want to be a part of the church or the community of faith. 
I didn't reach out in the ways that I'm supposed to, that you called me to. I didn't fully live as your disciple, God, but here in the new year, I want the opportunity to start again. John Wesley created the service of covenant renewal that we might remember that God offers himself to us again and again and again. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to go through that service together, at least a portion of that service, where we're reminded of God's self-giving and offering and where we're invited to respond. So there's going to be words on the screen um, if you'll follow along as we move through this service together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life is redeemed from sin and it's consecrated to God. Through baptism we have entered this life and have been admitted into the new covenant of which Jesus Christ is the mediator. He sealed it with his own blood that it might last forever. On the one side, God promises to give us new life in Christ, the source and perfecter of our faith. On the other side, we are pledged to live no more for ourselves, but only for Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. From time to time, we renew our covenant with God, especially when we reaffirm the baptismal covenant and gather at the Lord's table. Today, however, we meet as generations before us have met, to renew the covenant that binds us to God. Let us make this covenant of God our own. Commit yourself to Christ as his servants. Give yourselves to him that you may belong to him. Christ has many services to be done. Some are more easy and honorable and others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and to our interests. Others are contrary to both. In some, we please Christ and we please ourselves. But then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. It is necessary, therefore, that we consider what it means to be a servant of Christ. Let us, therefore, go to Christ and pray. Let me be your servant under your command. I will no longer be my own. I will give up myself to your will in all things. Be satisfied that Christ shall give you your place and your work. Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. Christ will be the Savior of none but his servants. He is the source of salvation to those who obey. Christ will have no servants except by consent to all that he requires. Christ will be all in all or he will be nothing. Confirm this by a holy covenant. To make this covenant a reality in your life, listen to these instructions. First, set apart some time, more than once, 
to be spent alone before God in earnestly seeking God's special assistance and gracious acceptance of you, in carefully thinking of all the conditions of the covenant, in searching your hearts whether you have already freely given your life to Christ. Consider what your sins are. Consider the laws of Christ, how holy, strict, and spiritual they are, and whether you, after having carefully considered them, are willing to choose them all. Be sure you are clear in these matters. See that you do not lie to God. Second, be serious and in a spirit of holy awe and reverence. Third, claim God's covenant. Rely upon God's promise of giving grace and strength so you can keep your promise. Trust not in your own strength anymore. Fourth, resolve to be faithful. You have given to the Lord your hearts You have opened your mouths to the Lord, and you have dedicated yourself to God. With God's power, never go back. And last, be then prepared to renew your covenant with the Lord. Fall down on your knees, lift up your hands toward heaven, open your hearts to the Lord as we pray together. O righteous God, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, See me as I fall down before you. Forgive my unfaithfulness in not having done your will, for you have promised mercy to me if I turn to you with my whole heart. God requires that you shall put away all your idols. I hear from the bottom of my heart, renounce them all, covenanting with you that no known sin shall be allowed in my life. Against your will, I have turned my love toward the world. In your power, I will watch all temptations that will lead me away from you. For my own righteousness is riddled with sin, unable to stand before you. Through Christ, God has offered to be your God again, if you will let him. Before all heaven and earth, I here acknowledge you as my Lord and God. I take you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for my portion and vow to give up myself, body and soul, as your servant to serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of my life. God has given the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way and means of coming to God. Jesus, I do here on bended knees accept Christ as the only new and living way and sincerely join myself in a covenant with him. O blessed Jesus, I come to you, hungry, sinful, miserable, blind, and naked, unworthy even to wash the feet of your servants. I do here, with all my power, accept you as my Lord and head. I renounce my own worthiness and vow that you are the Lord my righteousness. I renounce my own wisdom and take you for my only guide. I renounce my own will and take your will as my law. Christ has told you that you must suffer with him. I do covenant with you, O Christ, to take my lot with you as it may fall. Through your grace, I promise that neither life nor death shall part me from you. God has given holy laws as a rule for your life. 
I do here willingly put my neck under your yoke to carry your burden. All your laws are holy, just, and good. I therefore take them as the rule for my words, thoughts, and actions, promising that I will strive to order my whole life according to your direction and not allow myself to neglect anything that I know to be my duty. The Almighty God searches and knows your heart. O God, you know that I make this covenant with you today without guile or reservation. If any falsehood should be in it, guide me and help me to set it aright. And now glory be to you, O God the Father, whom I from this day forward shall look upon as my God and Father. Glory be to you, O God the Son, who have loved me and washed me from my sins with your own blood, and now is my Savior and Redeemer. Glory be to you, O God the Holy Spirit, who by your almighty power have turned my heart from sin to God. O mighty God, The Lord Omnipotent, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have now become my covenant friend, and I, through your infinite grace, have become your covenant servant. So be it, and let the covenant I have made on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen. One of the things I grew up with in Richmond Hill um, were these things called boundary markers. on every corner where my grandparents lived in, in the old part of Richmond Hill called the bottom, on every corner there were these concrete pillars that had the names of streets. They were ways to mark the boundaries of people's property, and to give direction. They're a way for us to remember. In the Old Testament, anytime something happened that was noteworthy, anytime the presence of God was experienced in one place or another. Men like Abraham took up stones and built altars. Jacob dug wells. Isaac did the same thing. Later, Moses would take a stone and have the words of the law written on the stone so that any time the people passed by, they might remember the covenant that they had made, the promise that they had made to God. On the night in which Christ gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to God, and gave it to his disciples, having broken the bread, saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples, and said, drink from this, all of you, for this is my my blood of a new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Today you are invited to the table of God's grace. You are invited to come and feast here. Not just to mark another Sunday off your calendar or another week off your life. 
but to remember all that God has done in your past. To remember the covenant that He's made with you and that you have made with Him. Through this meal, God says to us once more, I will be your God if you will be my people. Would you join me in prayer this morning?